I'm Rob. I'm Joy. And you're listening to Key Light. This week, we're talking about Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which is uh, one of our favorite animes. Definitely, I think it was my introduction to the genre and my favorite anime of all time. Yeah, I think it's the best introduction to the genre because Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, specifically, not just Full Metal Alchemist, um, is a great mix of characters, uh, themes, and an entertaining plot that keeps, you know, new or first time anime watchers still interested. Yeah, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is a show that has stood the test of time and the internet, which I think is arguably harder, and it carries a legacy of being one of the greatest stories ever told. I think we have to start off by acknowledging that there is no way for us to fully capture the depth of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood in a single episode. There are themes of humanity, family, revenge, justice, loss, forgiveness, and so much more that I haven't listed that all weave the show together and are what make the show so legendary. Yeah, I mean, we could be here for hours trying to just discuss a single episode, let alone the full show. So That being said, we're going to focus on one specific theme and bring up examples of moments that kind of reflect that theme. It's a theme that I think is a pillar of the show and one that ties into every single character we meet. And it's less of a theme and more of a question, which is, what does it mean to be human? Yeah, this entire narrative is driven by the question we just asked, what does it mean to be human? And seeking an answer to it. There's a moment in episode three Water, 35 liters. Carbon, 20 kilograms. Ammonia, 4 liters. Lime, 1.5 kilograms. Phosphorus, 800 grams. Salt, 250 grams. Saltpeter, 100 grams. And various other trace elements. Where Ed lists off the material components to the human body. Sure, you can build a body with these parts, but no one has managed to successfully resurrect somebody. Because you can't. The Elric brothers are intimately familiar with that. Ed lost his right arm and left leg to a resurrection attempt, while Alphonse lost his entire body. Ed binds Also to a, a suit of armor, keeping him alive in the very barest sense. This is how we meet them at the beginning of the series. Ed is human, no one argues that, but whether or not Al is still human, well, that's a harder question to answer. Can someone still be human if they're merely a soul bound to a suit of armor? He doesn't eat, doesn't drink, doesn't sleep, he doesn't even feel pain. He just exists, kind of. He begins to question this in episode 7, where Barry the Chopper suggests that he's just a doll created by Ed, that he was never human to begin with. Oh no, that's not what I mean. Are you sure that you're not a puppet created and controlled by your so-called brother? (gasps) Were you ever even a real person to begin with? Of course, upon repeated viewings, we know this isn't true. But in the moment, it's a terrifying question to contemplate, both for Al and for us as the audience. It forces us to question our definition of humanity and whether or not Al's current state fits that definition. It gets resolved at the end of episode 9, and they come to the conclusion that, no, it doesn't matter. Al has a body to return to, so it doesn't matter if if everybody considers him human right now. The people who matter know he's human, and everyone else will once he returns to his body. This, of course, brings us to the driving factor plot-wise for the entire show. Ed and Al want to return their bodies to their original state. Ed wants his arm and leg back, Al wants his entire body back. An option that's introduced pretty early on is the Philosopher's Stone. Under the law of equivalent exchange, it exists as this powerful amplifier of transmutation and alchemy. Unfortunately, it comes at a rather steep cost. Ed and Al managed to get their hands on one, and as well as notes from Dr. Marcos, who had originally made one of those during the Ishvalian War, and they get notes about its construction, and they find out it's made of human souls. Oof, and Ed and Al refuse to use the Philosopher's Stone, both being adamant on fixing themselves without sacrificing anybody else, which is a very noble cause they stick to. 
still, it sticks around in their lives for the rest of the series, that Philosopher's Stone. We meet the seven deadly sin homunculi and eventually father, who are all essentially just walking Philosopher's Stones. And that returns us to the question of what it means to be human. The show forces us to question whether or not those homunculi are considered humans. They certainly act like them, some more than others. We get to know many of them, particularly envy and greed, and they act human enough. You know, greed, most of all, I would say, both in his original and when he was joined with Ling, we know greed is technically a homunculi, but he looks human, he acts human, and he feels human in the way he interacts with everybody else. You know, he has his own desires. And he pursues them just like everybody else in the show does. What could be more human than that? Just pursuing your desires. Yeah. And is it enough to walk and talk and eat and drink and sleep? We know that Al, we still consider him human, even though he doesn't do any of that. And is Greed more human than Al for most of the series? Personally, I don't think it matters. Greed ends up learning what it means to be human, or at least what he truly desires at the end of the show, right? As he's fading to dust. He wanted companionship. He wanted to be loved. He wanted to be trusted the way Ed and Ling and Al and the rest of the people trust and loved each other. So does being human mean being loved and trusted? Well, not quite. Another important character we meet near the beginning of the show who undergoes a drastic change throughout the series is Scar. As a survivor of the Ishvalan Civil War, he's driven entirely by revenge. You know, his land was razed, his people were wiped out, and he blames the state alchemists, people like Ed, like Roy. And rightfully so. His self-imposed mission, therefore, is to kill all the state alchemists who were involved in destroying his home and killing his brother, his mother, all of his family, anybody he's ever known. His entire people, essentially. His humanity is questioned in a much more traditional sense that we see in revenge stories as he kind of murders his way through the state alchemist list in the name of revenge. He's physically human, yes, but how much humanity can be left in someone who's entirely driven by the intent to kill and seek revenge? The state alchemists, particularly Roy and Lewis, struggle with this as well, being unable to justify the crimes they committed during the war, but still wanting to run their country and take political power all in a sense to try to atone for their misdeeds. So... If being human transcends simple biology, but it's also more than reasoning and feeling, then what does it really mean to be human? We don't know. Ultimately, someone's humanity depends on themselves and the people around them. Al's humanity was briefly in question, but only he and Barry the Chopper ever really questioned it. Everyone else regarded him for who he was and recognized his humanity. He didn't become more human upon returning to his body. He simply looked the part again. Scar, Roy, Riza, Hughes, Luis. Everyone involved in the Ishvalian Civil War questioned their humanity or had their humanity questioned due to the atrocities committed at one point or another. The homunculi questioned and craved recognition of their humanity constantly. But all of them had to come to terms that either they were human or they weren't. And they had to define it themselves with the help of those around them. All right, so now we're on to the cultural impact section of this show. And yeah, I think like I mentioned before, it's such a great introduction to the genre. You know, I always tell people when, you know, I'm talking about anime or uh, or reading manga and things like that, and they always, you know, there's always going to be some people, even though it's become more acceptable now in culture. Someone's always going to clown you for it, and it's going to be rude, but you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. I will say less people clown, which is an amazing feeling. It is. An amazing feeling. But 
There will be people who clowns. And so in return, I always say, okay, just try and watch Full Metal Alchemist. You know, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, by the way. Yeah. I want to make that distinction again. That is two different shows. Uh, we're only talking about FMAB, yeah. not FMA. FMAB is, like I said, a great introduction because it feels Western in a lot of ways. It, A lot of anime, if you've watched a few, have uh, Japanese-specific tropes or mannerisms or sayings that you know might a alienate people who are watching anime for the first time because it's not part of their culture. You know, especially as Americans, uh, you're watching some show from Japan. It's already animated in a unfamiliar style, and then on top of that, there's like sounds. Like the sound for summer in Japanese shows are like crickets and locusts chirping. You know, that's not how you create the sound of summer in america for example well i mean we have cicadas so similar yeah <laughs> actually but... we have cicadas if you grew up specifically where we did not it's not everywhere in the u.s which yeah. I, le I learned recently yeah exactly yeah. isn't that crazy? crazy but yeah yeah so it's just like little things like that the sound of summer that all compound to make anime in general a little bit unfamiliar for western audiences and i think that's why FMAB is such a great introduction because it doesn't have as many of those things. It feels really German, you know, kind of like uh, other animes like Monster or Attack on Titan. Um, also, it has just straight up, it just has white people in the show instead. Yeah, and they so, have English names, which is helpful. Very, very helpful for remembering everything. Yeah, and also um, um, I think Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood is one of the ones that has a decent dub, so that also makes it a little bit mm -hmm, easier mm -hmm. to approach. Yeah, and I don't know... How much of a weeb all of our listeners are, <laughs> but there is a site called My Anime List where you basically just make your own ranking. It's of like Letterbox, but for anime, basically. Exactly, that's exactly what it is. And FMAB, if you needed more confirmation that it's really good anime, is the highest rated um, show of any anime on the site, and this is like thousands hundreds of thousands of people rating it and it's yeah. been number one for a while and i don't see it changing anytime soon so that's that universal love we're talking about yeah and it's also um more palatable in terms of how many episodes there are you'll see a lot of animes that have like hundreds and hundreds of episodes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i'm calling out one piece and um, naruto specifically but um fmab it's 64 episodes really doable it's like 22 minutes per episode like it's truly a very not a condensed story but it's a story that doesn't take up more space than it needs to and it's there's pretty much no filler that i can think mm -hmm. of like maybe one or two episodes like are arguably filler but even then it's like there's character development and stuff like that it's truly a fantastic show and there's so much more we could talk about we barely even scraped the surface so far there was a moment that i wanted to talk about that i didn't get to in our main portion so i'm gonna talk about it now and that's Roy's moment in the tunnels when he's fighting Envy near the end of the show. Oh, yeah. That episode Great and episode. that moment is truly one of my favorites in the entire series, partially because I adore both Roy Mustang and Riza Hawkeye. They're my uh, emotional support straight couple, but also because it's a representation of how far Mustang has come as a character and the strength of his, his relationship with Hawkeye. She talks him down from the ledge, metaphorically, and he shows Envy mercy, and it's truly a shift of who he has become, and the kind of man that he wants to be in order to lead a mistress into the future after the show ends. And it's it's just one of my favorite moments. It's him showing mercy to someone who, who he doesn't consider human and who mm -hmm. us at the audience at that point also don't really consider human. But even then, he chooses to show mercy. And that's something that's so rare 
especially from Mustang, who earlier in the show um, killed Lust, but that's like a whole different set of circumstances. But we've we've been shown that he's capable and willing to kill homunculi, but in this moment he chooses not to. Yeah. Or, and he's hel- or he's helped to that choice, but ultimately he makes that choice, and it's fantastic character development. I love Roy Mustang. Yeah, yeah, and that's like one of the great hard-hitting moments about this show. And the great thing is there's even more of them. Like There's I so was, many. It's like every episode so has like many. a fantastic moment. Yeah. Some of my favorites are when Ed and Al burn their house down. Oh, yes. After they find the remains mm-hmm. of what they transmuted. Oh, no. They, they burn their house down when they leave to go to um, uh, yeah. the capital. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And there, then they return the and find the yeah. yeah. And then there's that one moment when... We're talking. We were talking about Al questioning his existence. Yeah. Um, and then Al says at some point, "I can't bear all the nights alone anymore." Yeah. That hit oh, me so it's bad so painful. Because he can't sleep. Yeah. Imagine not being able to sleep. That's you know you awful. don't have to you don't have to go to the bathroom, but you can't eat anything. You know he has that little list. Yeah. Just um, such a well done show. There's a shot I think in episode seven or eight where it's just him sitting alone. Like in the dark, like with the moonlight coming through the window, it's a shot of his back, and I think um, Ed is sleeping, and it's just him—he's so alone. And they zoom in slowly on him. It's such a beautifully crafted shot of showing that like he's there, but he's not quite there, and he has to struggle mm-hmm. with that alone. And it's just this is just such a good. Sh- There's everything good happens in the show. There's so many good moments. My only critique in the story of the show is that there's a moment when they go north, and um, Winry has to leave and trek through the snow so she gives her earrings to ed because like her earrings are gonna freeze in her ears and that's bad but they never have a moment where he gives them back that's my only critique of the entire show because the first time i watched it through i was like okay they're making a big show of her handing them over when's he gonna give them back when's he gonna give them back he's never gonna give them back okay show's over oh <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing that's ever bothered me about the entire show but that's my only minor critique and if that's the only critique you have of a show it's a fantastic show. Yeah. I'm just rambling now. I just love the show so much. Yeah, no, I think while we're talking about critiques, the only one I have is I think the rationale for Father as a villain is brought up a little bit late Yeah, um, because there's so much focus on, and this is kind of a good critique, because there's so much focus on the themes and the character development of the protagonists and the lower antagonists that the main villain, Father, is kind of brought in late, you know, and we see his development and his why for being evil uh, come in pretty late, and it's a little bit weak in my opinion, but who cares because it's still really entertaining, and that's part of what makes the show so strong. It has good themes, it has good characters, and it's entertaining at the same time, which makes it super accessible, which is what we need. Yeah. I would agree with that, but also uh, right before we end this section, I want to say I do love that one of the greatest anime of all time is written by a woman because Hiromu Arakawa, the mangaka, she is a woman, Mm -hmm. and I don't think think she revealed that she was a woman until after the series was over, after it received all that critical acclaim because it's understandable, but I still think it's really awesome that one of the greatest stories ever told and definitely one of the lasting legacies in anime history written Mm -hmm. by a woman. She's iconic. All right, and now it's time for everybody's favorite section that we don't prepare for, but we actually do, kind of. Today we talked about it right before we started recording. Hell anyway, yeah. song of the week. So, my song of the week is See Through by the band Camino. Cool. I like it. It's a banger, and it's more upbeat than what I usually choose, but, you know, Great. that's all. I'm just going to assume that's true because yeah. I don't know who they are. 
Cool. Um, my song of the week is, let's see if you know this one, Stuntman by Tyler, the Creator, featuring Vince Staples. I know who Tyler, the Creator is, and I know who Vince Staples is. I don't know the song. Okay. Two out of three. I'll We're getting there. I'll, t- I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take it. All right. Well, that's all for us today. Yeah. So uh, just, you know, take care of your mom, because uh, once she's gone, bring her back. It's going to cost you an arm and a leg. We'll see you all next week. This episode was written by Joy Gu and Rob Pereira. Also edited by Joy Gu and produced and mixed by Rob Pereira. Special thanks to the BU School of Communication for their studio and to Northeastern University. You can find Keylight on all podcasting platforms and make sure to be notified of new episodes by following our Instagram and Twitter accounts, both at Keylight Pod. Thanks. Thanks.